morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Palm Sunday, this beginning of Holy Week. And I love this time of year as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And during this next couple of weeks, we're going to ask this question, when is enough enough? My dad grew up in a a farm and he went to town one time and he was telling these stories. They always have these great farm stories about growing up. He had two older brothers, you know, and so we hear these great stories. And, and he told about going the first time to town and when he was a young kid and, and he went to one of those drugstores. And back then he, it was only a quarter for like a chocolate shake, right? And so he, the first time he ever had a chocolate shake and they made the chocolate shake. And then back then they would give you the tin cup, you know, like you had more than enough, right? And so you got like the tin cup that came with it. So my dad said he drank that chocolate shake. It was the best thing he'd ever had in his life. And so he reached in his pocket, he pulled out another quarter and got another chocolate shake, right? I mean, the big chocolate shake from the drugstore and the tin cup that comes with it. And my dad said it was just so great. It was wonderful, but he was too embarrassed to order a third. So he went out and walked across the street to another drugstore and promptly had a third milkshake with the tin cup right there. And then you know the story, he got sick right after that, right, you know? But he said it was the best thing he'd ever had. But, you know, as I thought about that story, I thought, you know, it's so important for us in life because we think that the things in this world so many times are gonna satisfy and we just want more and we want more and we want more. And we grew up in this culture with an insatiable desire for more. Insatiable desire. And some things aren't bad, they're good, but, but we want more and more and more. And we live in a consumer-driven society, and we have to ask the question sometimes is, you know, when is there enough money? When is money enough, right? When is there enough vacation? Because every time we go on a vacation, we're ready, like, I want another vacation. I need another because it doesn't satisfy. You know, when is there enough sporting events? When is there enough weight loss? When is there enough liposuction? When is there enough Botox? When is enough enough? And what we come to this Easter season is this, Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is alive and Jesus redeems and Jesus restores and that in Christ and in Christ alone do we find worth and we find value. In Christ alone does he satisfy. In Christ alone does there come joy and peace and purpose in Christ. He is more than enough for every need that we have and he satisfies our deepest longings and God invites us on this Easter season to drink deeply of him and to understand what we have in Christ and that he is more more than enough. I'm excited about Easter. I hope you guys are too. So get ready. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. New Testament, John chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And we're going to look at the triumphal entry, the beginning of Holy Week. And so this is recorded in all four of the Gospels, but we're going to unpack the scriptures here in John chapter 12 today. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures. You can go online to YouVersion or we'll put the scripture up on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But John chapter 12, pick up in verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So 2,000 years ago, you can picture this scene, right? People had come for the great feast. Feast is capitalized right there. What does it mean? It means that there's three major feasts every year. That people, if you were a Jew, wherever you lived, you were supposed to come to Jerusalem. And you were supposed to worship there at the temple. And this feast would go for like two weeks. I mean, it was a huge celebration. And the feast that they're referring to right here in John chapter 12 is like the granddaddy feast of them all. I mean, it is the Passover feast. Now, the Passover goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, okay? The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. 
And back then, if you were a slave, man, you had no help, you had no hope. I mean, you were just kind of done for it. So here are the children of Israel, they're slaves in Egypt, and they need help, and they need hope. Maybe you're here today, and maybe in life, it just seems like, where's the help, you know? Where's the hope? And I want to invite you, just like the children of Israel did back there at Exodus, they called out to God, and they cried out, God, do you see what's going on? God, help! And God heard their prayers, just like he hears your prayers. And God sent a deliverer named Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. You know, I mean, I've got a million slaves. Are you kidding? And our whole economy would collapse. There's no way I'm letting them go. And Moses goes, okay, just watch what God will do. And maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've heard the stories with the plagues that started to happen. There were 10 different plagues. The Nile turning to blood, frogs and locusts and all these plagues that were coming. And then the last plague, because Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And so God told the children of Israel, listen, every family, you get a lamb and you kill that lamb and you put the blood over the doorpost of your house because tonight the death angel will come. And if your house is covered by the blood of the lamb, the death angel will pass over your home. But the death angel is coming and will kill the firstborn of every not covered by the blood of the lamb. So you can imagine these families, right? And they're taking a lamb, they're putting it over the blood post of their homes, and they're coming inside and they're huddled together and they're praying and whoosh, you begin to hear the death angel coming over and they're praying and they're praying and that night, Exodus chapter 12, the firstborn of every Egyptian from Pharaoh to those in prison to the livestock was killed. And Pharaoh woke up and saw what had happened and said, he is God. You are free to go. You are free to go. And that night, one million people walked out of slavery, walked out on a journey with God across a desert to a promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where they had cities they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. God said, I will do so much more. And so for 1,500 years, the people had come together to celebrate the Passover. For 1,500 years, they came together to remember the victory that God had won. And this Passover was even more special because the great crowd had heard that Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. Now for three years, Jesus had been doing ministry. And for three years, they had heard about the miracles that had unfolded up and around Galilee and even down on the Jordan and in Jerusalem. And, and people were abuzz. Could he be the Messiah? We need deliverance from the Romans. We need help. Could he be the Messiah? And so the place is packed. Historians estimate that during this time, the feast, that, that Jerusalem would swell to three to five times its normal size. Estimate 2.5 million people there in the city, people camping out on the Mount of Olives, people in tents, and they're coming down, and they're ready. Here comes Jesus. And look at verse 13. It says, they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him. Now, palm branches were a, a symbol of victory. Uh, back then in athletic competitions that when somebody would win, they would give them a palm branch. They would carry this as their trophy. It was a symbol of victory. And, and, and it meant that the people came and they lined the streets and they're waving palm branches. And then we know from the other gospels, they begin to lay the palm branches down as Jesus comes into the city. And they start shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna literally means God saves. Hosanna. And then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from Psalm 118. 25, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can imagine crowds shouting and chanting, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Now this was a messianic prophecy written hundreds of years before this event ever happened. A messianic prophecy written in Zechariah 9.9. Do you realize in the Old Testament that was written hundreds of years before in the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of the Messiah, Christ. And all 300 are fulfilled in Jesus. All three, now the possibilities of that is astronomical, right? Jesus Christ. See, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Now, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, he was making a very clear statement. He was making a very clear statement that he came at Passover, and he was making a very clear statement about the Messiah that he is. As he rode in on the back of this donkey, he didn't come in on a stallion, right, declaring war and rallying the Jews. I mean, there had been revolts and rebellions against the Romans. He didn't come in and say, hey, all right, guys, let's go. Let's overthrow the Romans. He came in on the back of a donkey. He came in peace as a symbol of peace, a Messiah of peace, the Prince of peace. And he was making sure everybody understood what he was doing. And at first it says that the disciples, they did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, what does that mean? After Jesus went to the cross, right? After Jesus was resurrected, after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that those things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him? Now the disciples, I mean, you gotta think, this is pretty interesting. There's 12 guys who've been following Jesus for three years. 12 guys who've watched miracles unfold, right? I mean, they've seen the blind have sight. They, they've watched the lame be able to walk. They, they've seen 5,000 people being fed with five loaves and two fish. I mean, these guys are going, wow. And now they're coming in with Jesus and everybody's chanting and they're like, woo, high five. We're on the right team, you know? I mean, they're just going, this is incredible. This is awesome. But as many of you know, the tide begins to turn and the public opinion changes. And over the next five days, things get pretty rough and challenging. But the disciples stay faithful. All but one, right, Judas? For the rest of the disciples, they stay faithful. I'm gonna stay with Jesus. I'm gonna hold on to Jesus. I may not understand all this at the time. I may not understand all that I'm going through, but, but I'm gonna hold on to Jesus. Have you ever been through one of those experiences? It's really hard and it's difficult, and yet you look back and you go, oh, wait a minute, I can see what God was doing. I understand that there was something more there. I understand that God was working for my good, even in, even in the middle of this. Maybe you're there today. God hasn't given up on you. God has a plan, God has a purpose. You hold on to him. You stay strong in him. He loves you. Verse 18 tells us this, that many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Now, what miraculous sign is that? Well, if you back up a verse, you see it was the miraculous sign when Lazarus was healed. Now, that's so important because so many people were looking just for the miracles, right? And yet God was doing something more, something even greater. So, so what is that you know, miraculous sign that, that the people were wanting to see well, Lazarus. If you go back to John chapter 11, there was this guy, Lazarus, and he was a friend of Jesus, and, and he died. 
And Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was sick, they called out to Jesus, Jesus, come, Are your friend, he's sick, he's gonna die. And, and Jesus waited four days and then he, then he shows up. And Mary and Martha like, Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe in your life you've called out, so I'm like, Jesus, hello. And Jesus goes, watch this. And he walks up to the tomb. Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. That's important that he said Lazarus, because if he had just said come forth, then all everybody would have started walking out of the tombs. Okay, then why? So he's very specific, right? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead man comes walking out of the tomb. He says, take the grave clothes off. He is alive. And many people heard about that, right? Because it only happened two miles away. It was in Bethany. And this great crowd had said, hey, I want to see Jesus. I want to see this miracle, this miracle worker. I want to see that unfold, right? So they came. And the Pharisees, it says, so the Pharisees, verse 19, said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now the Pharisees were the religious leaders and they loved religion. They loved ritual. They had it down. You know, they've been doing this kind of deal for 1,500 years, right? We know it. We've got it. And now Jesus is on the scene and Jesus is saying there's more. It's not just about religion. There's a relationship that God has. And they said, oh, wait a minute. We like our little box. We like God in a box. We like to have control here. We, We don't like that. Over the next several days, the religious leaders began to turn the crowd the same crowd that waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna, five days later begins to chant, crucify, 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 crucify. And you think, how, how did they miss him? You know, you ever like that? You ever, I, I do that. I'm thinking like, what would I have done if I was there? You know, how, how would I have responded? How, how did this turn? Well, you know what? The crowd was looking for a Messiah who would do things their way. And not a God who would do things his way. See, the, they were looking for a Messiah who was a political Messiah, right? And they wanted the Messiah to be on the back of a stallion. They wanted the rebellion to, to be launched. They wanted the Romans to be gone. They wanted a political Messiah. Or they also wanted an economic Messiah. You know, they thought, hey, you know, when a Messiah comes, we can go back to the times of King David or King Solomon when we kind of ruled everything. We had gold and it was all abounding. I mean, we had money. Or they wanted a relational Messiah. You know, we want, we want peace with our neighbors. We want peace out there. We want you to fix them and get everything in order for us. And isn't that what people look for today? And so many times we can fall into that same trap, right? People fall into it all the time. People, people want a political Messiah today. If we can just fix the government, right? Then everything will work out. If we can just fix the government other countries, right? If we can get into the EU, if we can get into this, if we can get all that, you know, politically, if everything is fine, then everything's going to be all right. Or economically, if I just had more money, if I had more money, I could solve the problems of my life. If I had more money, then man, everything would be fine. God, just give me more money. <laughs> or relationally, God, can you fix my spouse? If you fix my spouse, then we're going to have a great marriage. God, if you fix my children, right? I'll be a great dad, right? If you fix my boss, then everything will be great at work. God, you just do that. And yet God was doing so much more. So when Jesus came in, he was making a very clear statement. 
I'm coming for you, personal. I'm coming to bring peace in your heart and in your life. I'm not just working from the outside in, I'm working from the inside out. Because when this relationship with God is right, all of a sudden everything else begins to come into focus. All of a sudden when you have peace in here with God, then everything else begins to be significant in the eyes of God. That God is saying, I wanna deal with you. And we're saying, God, I want you to do the things that I want you to do my way. And God's going, no, 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 I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to hold on to me because I am more than enough for you. And even when the public opinion may change or when the tide may turn or when things in your life get harder, get difficult, listen, I will be there for you. And so often, boy, we try to fix the circumstances, don't we? And things are great when the money's there, or things are great when things are good at work, or things are great when they're fine in our marriage, but when things get hard, and then we realize, I don't have anything. I need help, I need hope. And Jesus is saying, I am with you through it all. It starts here. It starts here. As Holy Week begins to unfold, it's amazing to watch Jesus teaching in the temple on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, there's silence. And on Thursday, the Judas betrays Jesus. He's arrested by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's taken Thursday night to a mock trial. That even by their own law, they shouldn't have had a trial at night. And he's taken before the Sanhedrin. Even though they couldn't find any charges against him, Jesus lived 33 sinless years. And early the next day on Friday, they took him to Pilate. Pilate, who's the Roman governor over this area. Pilate, man, he had everything that the world had to offer, right? Pilate was successful. He had money. He had power. He had a palace there in Jerusalem. He had a family. He had all these things. And yet there was something missing in Pilate's life. (laughs) All the things of the world didn't satisfy. There was something more. And if you turn to John chapter 18... You watch this whole thing unfold. It says, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas, Caiaphas the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor, that's Pilate. But now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. (laughs) See, if you were a Jew, you couldn't walk into a Gentile's home. If you did, then you would be unclean. And the Jews realized, man, I don't want to go in there. I want to, I want to be able to eat the Passover. We've been doing this 1,500 years, right? We've been going through this. So Pilate came out to them and he asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pretty interesting, right? What charges? Well, we don't really have any charges. You know, but, but if he weren't a criminal, then we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But what, we do not have the right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. See, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> there's a holy God and there's a sinful man and the wages of sin is death. And the price had to be paid Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now watch this unfold here. You remember back in verse 28, it says that the Jews didn't want to enter into the palace because they didn't want to be unclean. 
And now what does it say? It says that Pilate went back inside and summoned Jesus. So he separates the Jews and Pilate comes in and he has this one-on-one, one-on-one, face-to-face with Jesus. Now Pilate knows about Jesus, doesn't he? I mean, you know, he's the governor of this area. He's heard, right, all the stories. He's heard the things that have happened. He's seen the crowd and the fever pitch. And now Pilate's one-on-one. Are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? Really? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Jesus goes right to the heart. What do you believe, Pilate? What do you believe? Not, not what does everybody else say? Not what do your parents say? Not what does the church say? Not a, you know, what you grew up? What do you believe? What do you believe? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? <laughs> it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Pilate all of a sudden deflects it, right? He's like, whoa, this is getting personal. This is coming into my heart. This is what I really believe. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus said, any time, he could have stopped this, right? He could have called down legions of angels. He could have stopped all this. But Jesus knew, I'm gonna take the sins of the world. I'm going to the cross. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asked this, and this is so powerful. Pilate replies, what is truth? What what is truth? You can imagine this man who's run after the things of this world and they just don't satisfy. He has the money, he has the palace, he has the success, he has everything that the world at that time would say, wow, you have it all. And yet Pilate in his heart of hearts, no, there has to be something more. What is truth? And why am I missing it? Jesus, who in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And you see Pilate and you see Jesus. And Pilate has a decision to make. What do I believe about Jesus? See, the fact is this, that every one of us, one day is gonna stand before God and God's gonna ask us two questions. The first is this, what what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And every one of us is gonna have to give an answer. Everyone, everyone who has ever lived is gonna have to give an answer. What do we do with Jesus. Do we believe? Do we accept? Do we follow? Second question he's going to ask is, what did you do with what you were given? Pilate, from this point on, you know, he tries to free Jesus. He does everything he can to free Jesus. He goes out to the Jews and he says, hey, I find no fault with him. I find no fault with this man. He sends him to Herod Herod, who is the king of the Galilee region, who's in town for the feast. He says, Herod, you deal with him. And Herod talks to Jesus and then sends him back to Pilate. His wife, Pilate's wife, comes to him and says, Pilate, listen, I had a dream. <laughs> There's something about this man. There's something more. You, Pilate, listen, he's innocent. Pilate comes up with this great idea. Here's what I'll do. Every custom, every Passover, there's a custom where they 
where I release a prisoner. I'll give them a choice. I'll say, hey, do you want Jesus or I'll give them the worst prisoner possible, Barabbas. That's what I'll do. And so he goes out and he says, do you want me to free the king of the Jews or do you want me to free Barabbas? But it is your custom for me to release to you a prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. And so we know from the gospel of Matthew, Pilate has a decision to make. Just like all of us do at some point. What do we do with Jesus? <laughs> it tells us in Matthew that Pilate took a, a bowl and he went out to the crowd and he said, I'm washing my hands of this man. I find nothing wrong with this man. He's innocent. His blood's gonna be on you. You know, as we read this narrative, we come to understand the responses to Jesus back then and the responses to Jesus today. There's the response of the crowd, right? I want you to do it my way, God. <laughs> my will. And when we don't see that, they, they turn. We, we see the response of Pilate who says, you know what? <laughs> I could delay a decision. <laughs> I could put it off onto somebody else. I, I don't have to decide. But the fact of the matter is this. When God calls us, when God is drawing us to himself, when God is inviting us, every one of us at some point has to make a decision. Maybe there's something God has been calling you to do. Maybe God's been speaking to you. Maybe God's been calling you into salvation and, and you've been just saying, hey, 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 wait, not right now. You know, I'm chasing the things of this world. I've got my career. I've got all this stuff that's happening. I, I, I can't deal with that right now. Maybe God's been speaking to you about getting more involved in church or serving or giving or going or whatever it is. And, and so often we're like, I don't know, God. Not right now. But at some point, <laughs> we have to make a decision. And then you have the response of the disciples who just said, we're going to hold on. <laughs> Where else can we go? I'm going to hold on to Jesus. And even though it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and I don't understand, and times are going to be challenging. Listen, I know, I know, I know that in the end, he will prevail. And after Jesus was glorified, they looked back and they saw See, one day, maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe things are hard or challenging right now. But one day, listen, he's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right. And he says to you, hold on, hold on. I am for you. You stay faithful. I am doing a greater work, a greater work than maybe you can even see. You hold on to me and you stay faithful. Where are you today? Spiritually, where are you in this relationship with Jesus? Is he enough? There's a lady, Anna Marie Cox, and Anna Marie Cox is a, a political strategist. She's been in Washington, D.C. for many years. She's in her early 40s. She has everything that our world would say it takes to be successful, right? Money and power and fame, and she's a political blogger. And several years ago, there was something stirring in her heart and her life. Several years ago, she started to realize there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Her mom was agnostic. Her dad was an atheist. She asked her dad one time, Dad, do you believe in God? And he said, why? God doesn't exist. She said, okay. But still in her life, she realized there's got to be something. 
On February 28th, she wrote an article that just said, why I'm coming out as a Christian. She said, my understanding of Christianity is it's about a direct relationship with the divine and freely offered salvation. That's one of the reasons that's when my generic quote, there must be something out there, gut feeling, blossomed into a desire for a personal connection to that something. It was Christianity. They'll let anyone in. (laughs) I love that. They'll let anyone in, right? Isn't that great? That's a great part about God, you know? They'll let anyone in. Jews, Romans, you, me, anyone. She said, here's why I'm a Christian. I have a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior. I believe in the grace offered by the resurrection. I believe that whatever spiritual rewards I may reap come directly from trying to live the example set by Christ. Whether or not I succeed in living up to that example is primarily between him and me. To be clear, I just don't believe in God. I am a Christian. Decades of mass culture new ageism has fluffed up belief in God into a spiritual buffet, a holy catch-all for those who want to cover all the numbers. Me, I'm going all in with Jesus. I love that. I'm going all in with Jesus. Through the good and through the hard, through the success and through the challenges, I'm all in with Jesus. It's not that the payoff could be tremendous. It already has been. Since leaving Washington, I've made my life over, and I'm happier, freer, and healthier in body and spirit, and apparently it shows. When people ask me what changed or how did you do it, or sometimes with nervous humor, tell me your secret. I have a litany of concrete lifestyle changes I can give them. Simply leaving Washington is near the top of the list. But the honest answer would be this. I try every day to give my will and my life over to God. I try to be like Christ. I get down on my knees and I pray. I'm not smart enough to argue with those who cling to disbelief. Centuries of philosophers have made better arguments than I could. And I'm comfortable with just pointing in their direction if an acquaintance insists If there is a God, then why this atrocity? For me, belief didn't come after I had the answer to that question. Belief came when I stopped needing the answer. (laughs) Belief came when I just surrendered. Belief came when I said, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough. And my hope and my worth and my value and my identity is going to be in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm all in with Jesus And so I ask you today, are you all in with Jesus? If everything was stripped away, right? If the money, if the 401ks, if the career, if everything else that this world has to offer was stripped away, is Jesus enough? For many of us, we know that Jesus is more than enough. He's redeemed and restored. He's made things right in our lives. He's, he's brought us to the heart of God. And not only that, he's lavished blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon us. Where are you today with Jesus? Sometimes it's so easy to get caught up at the crowd, right? It's so easy to find our satisfaction in the things of this world. And then we find that it's empty. And today there's a God who's drawing us to himself and saying, find your worth in me. Hold on to me. You know what's amazing is you, you read this, that Jesus came at Passover. And the Gospel of John opens with this statement as John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For 1,500 years, people would come and they would kill a lamb and put the blood over the altar. And for 1,500 years, it wasn't enough. Until Jesus came, the Lamb of God, and died on a cross for your sins and for mine. And his blood covers the doorpost of our hearts. That we are made alive in Christ and in Christ alone. Aren't you glad today that you aren't sitting there trying to wrestle a lamb and waiting to come and slit its throat and put it on the altar up here? Aren't you glad that it was more than enough that Jesus paid the price, that Christ is alive? And Christ is inviting you. I don't know where you are today, but I know that face-to-face encounter that Jesus and Pilate had is the same encounter that every one of us are gonna have at some point. Every one of us. So what do you believe about Jesus? Not just that he was a good prophet or a teacher or a miracle worker, but that he is the son of God and he died for you. His blood poured out for you so that you could have eternity with God, that you could be redeemed and restored and made new, that you could be forgiven and made right, that your life could find satisfaction in him. Drink deeply of the grace and the mercy that God offers today. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he said, guys, listen, I'm doing something so much bigger You've celebrated this Passover meal, but let me give it meaning for you. And he took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And I always love those two words, and I'm so thankful Jesus said those. Broken for you, personal. Looking in our hearts. Looking in our lives. Broken for you not just for the world and not just for this group of people or that group of people and not for just the people who think they have it all together, broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, guys, this cup, it's the new covenant. You were under the old covenant before, right? When you sinned, when you messed up, there was separation from God. There is a new covenant. It's my blood poured out for you. It's a covenant of grace, covenant of mercy, Take and drink and remember to me, for when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So today we have the opportunity to come to his table. To come and to be face to face with a savior who loves us more than we can imagine. I want to invite some of our A6 leaders. Those are some of the spiritual leaders in our church who pray for you and pray over you. They're gonna move to some of the tables now. There's tables that are set up. There's two tables in the back. There's tables on the side. There's a gluten-free table over here. I wanna invite our worship team to come. But men and women, this is between you and God. This is you and him. And as you come to the table today and you take the bread, his body broken for you, and you dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, what do you believe about Jesus? Is he enough? Not just when times are great, but even when times are hard. Not just when public opinion is foreign, but even when public opinion sways. Is he enough? Is he the Lord of your life and the joy of your heart? Because when you have peace here and you live that way, it changes everything. Father God, here we are, your disciples today. 
And Father, we have run after so many times the things of this world, and yet we've found that it doesn't satisfy. And Father, today we come to say that our hope and our faith and our trust is in you. As we come to your table this morning, Father, we, we bring our hearts, we bring our needs, we bring everything in our lives, and we lay it at your feet. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. That even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, you made us alive in Christ. God, we could never repay you. And so we come to wave the victory palm. We come to say that you are the redeemer in our hearts and our lives. We come to say that you are enough for us. And no matter what this world may bring, God, we want to be faithful. And we want to hold on to you. God, we sense your presence here today. Speak to our hearts today. Draw us close to you today. Thank you for love and grace and mercy. And it's in the name of Jesus that we come to your table. Amen. You're invited to pray. You're invited to come to the table and to receive the gift that only God can give. The gift of his son. Let's worship today. I will kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me. Where the wrath I deserve, it is gone, it is past, your blood has healed.
God, may we never lose the wonder of the mercy that God has lavished on us, His goodness and His grace that we find this Easter season. And as we enter into Holy Week, may we journey with Jesus to the cross. And next week, as we celebrate the resurrection, that Christ is alive, that death has been defeated, that God is enough to change our lives and our hearts, to impact every part of us. God loves you. God has an incredible plan and a purpose for you. Hold on to Him and live in the mercy of His love and of His grace that we find at Easter. I want to invite our ushers to come at this time. And as they do, I want to pray a blessing over us. Father, thank You for Your presence this morning. Thank You that You are here with us. And God, as we walk through this holy week, God, I pray that You draw our hearts close to You. Open our eyes to what You are doing around us and in us. And Father, I pray for the peace that passes understanding to fill us and the joy of Easter, that Jesus is alive. We love you and we praise you, God. Thanks for an opportunity to give back today. I pray that, Father, as we place prayer requests and praises, as we place financial gifts, Father, all in this basket, that you would take and bless, that you would hear and answer, and that, God, you would deliver. To you be all glory forever and ever. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we shout Hosanna. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Praise God.
Hey church, I want to invite you to a special Good Friday worship experience we have this weekend at Rolling Hills. As we've been taking our next steps and growing up, this would be a great time for us to grow spiritually by spending time to reflect and acknowledge what it took for Christ to come and redeem us. Christ came to this earth to identify Himself with humanity. Let's us come together and identify ourselves with Him, our Savior. So join us this Friday at 6.30 for a service where we'll spend time reflecting on just what Christ went through to bring us His love. For those of you with children, there'll be a special program, Journey with Jesus, where the kids will have their own worship experience. I look forward to seeing you for our worship service this Friday.